This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting. I am your co-host, Linda Hall, sitting in person beside wow. my BFF and co-host. I am liking what it, too. And when the snow hits, I'll let you know I'm on my way because I don't do Ohio in the snow. So well, I, for those of you who are keeping track, Linda's still at 11 and I'm still at 19 cats and counting. Although my mom's yes. trying to give me number 20. Yeah. I am resisting. Yeah. Her mother. So I don't know if you know this, but Dr. Shannon Falconer, PhD, was a microbiologist at Stanford with expertise in cell culture, microbiome, chemical, genetic, and molecular mechanism of action studies. I know studies. you're reading that. You don't know all those words. No, and, and I couldn't say it three times fast either, but <laughs> I'm very impressed. Let's talk to That Dr. was an impressive statement. Was, let's let's bring her on. Because animals all about. Yes. Welcome and thank you so much for being with us, Shannon. Thank you very much, Rita and Linda, for having me here. I know it's really fun to talk to you both. Um, yeah, so because animals, we're, we're making cultured meat, uh, pet food for cats and dogs. We're initially focused on cats and cultured meat is basically uh, we are growing meat. It is not a meat alternative. We are growing meat, but we're growing meat in an alternative way. So instead of growing meat by raising and slaughtering an animal, we are instead taking some cells from an animal and then growing those cells inside of a vessel, like a bioreactor, the same way you would brew beer, very, very similar, um, and growing meat that way and then harvesting that nutrient-dense mixture that is meat and then that will be our product for, for cats. I have to say how we found you was we had Dr. Katja Lang on our show from Made by Nacho. She was one of the instrumental creators in making sure the Made by Nacho food line is nutritiously sound. And I said to her jokingly, why don't they make mouse flavor cat foods? So Linda, exactly, yeah, digging on the internet. Yes. Guess what she found? Yeah, mouse flavor <laughs> treats made by because animals. Well, and the cool, I, I mean, I can't even begin. Like total, that mind blown emoji fits in when you're trying to explain making meat. That just blows my mind. But no need for antibiotics. No need for growth. But you know, we don't have to worry about any of this because you just done grew it. So we're just like, and all yeah. these vegans and vegetarians that are just heartbroken every time they open a can of cat right. food, you're giving us something we can give our cats that they're going to like it. It's mouse flavored. It goes right back to their nature, you know. Well, and I'm sure there'll be other flavors too. Yes. Yeah. So what we focused on, you know, we decided um, when we decided that, yeah, of course, we were going to focus on cultured meat for, for pet food, although chicken and, and beef and seafood, those are the main ingredients in commercial pet food. Right. They're also the main allergens for our cats and dogs, but those are included in commercial pet food because they're left over from the human food supply chain. Mm -hmm. So in culturing meat, we really saw this as the opportunity to actually grow the protein source that cats uh, evolved eating, which is mice, small birds, insects, and even small small rabbits, baby rabbits. 
Um, and so I think there's rabbit flavor cat food already. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think there is. Yes, and it's but um, but not uh, not a whole lot of it because the rabbit supply chain for human food is not very robust because humans tend not to eat a lot of rabbit. So really, as long as there's not a supply chain um, for human consumption, then it's not going to trickle down very quickly or or in any meaningful way to pet food. So, so yeah, we, we, we're growing mouse, um, for cats and, and the next cell line. I don't think be- any people want to eat that. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. But yeah, but our cats do. I mean, even for, you know, as for those of us who have, um, cats that are indoors and, and in eating, eating food, commercial cat food, I mean, gosh, I still, they still go after the mice. Um, yeah. it's just. Of course, it's instinctive. Um, whether or not they're consuming the mouse, they might be full because they've had their indoor, uh, their their food indoors. But um, but nonetheless, that drive is still there. So we were talking before we started recording. Sorry, everybody, but uh, we were talking about touring and all the things. So this is something Rita's taking a nutrition course now, and it's touched on a lot in the behavior course that we took. Mm-hmm. You know the importance of these nutrients, and we know a cat without taurine will not live through the lack of taurine, no. but that is derived naturally by, and I don't even know if I can say all, but by eating body parts that are disgusting, right? Because they consume uh, all of it and are like eating eyeballs and stuff and that's not in our food. So yeah. we're adding the, plus you said they're cooking it out, right? Can you explain all that with the synthetic? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll just actually, even just to say a little bit more about where, pet food comes from. So basically, as we were talking about the the, um, uh, meat supply chain for humans, so 50% of an animal is not consumed by humans. And that 50% then goes towards pet food. In addition to all of the other animals, they're referred to in the industry as fallen animals. There's another, you can also refer to them as 4D, so dead, diseased, dying, and disabled animals. So those animals that don't ever make it to slaughter because they die during transit due to dehydration or suffocation, disease. And so if an animal okay. dies before- I'm gonna cry, I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> no, but it's it's the gruesome reality of, of industrial animal agriculture. And if an animal dies before it is slaughtered for food, then that animal cannot be made into uh, meat or it cannot be sold for human consumption. So the combination of this 50% of the animal that humans don't want to eat in combination with these fallen animals or 4D animals, this is all sort of this very, very, very heavily contaminated biomass or carcasses that is that is then sent to something called a rendering facility. And at this rendering facility, sort of all of this, this mishmash of, of carcass and, and meat is then subjected to very, very uh, high temperatures and pressures in order to sterilize that meat and to kill all the pathogens that have been living on the meat. But in the process of sterilizing that meat, a lot of the nutrients, in particular taurine is one of them, especially those water-soluble nutrients, they're lost in the process. So yes, the irony is that commercial pet food, commercial cat food does not contain a large, I mean, taurine, some of the essential nutrients that cats need from meat that they would otherwise get from eating an animal in the wild, those essential nutrients are lost from the meat. So commercial pet food is, is it, it is a good, of course, it's a great source of protein, which cats do need, 
but we know that animals are not the only source of protein, but those specific nutrients like arachidonic acid, taurine, vitamin D, those are added back to cat food and they're largely, those are largely synthetically derived. So it's a bit of an interesting point because although cats are not vegan in the wild, right? They do not eat animal, they do not eat plant-based products. But when we think about the commercial diets that people feed their pets, a lot of those essential nutrients are synthetic, which also means that there is an opportunity to provide a food for cats that is nutritionally complete, that comes from nutrients that don't come from animals. However, the challenge is making it taste really good. And if it doesn't taste good, then a cat's not going to eat it. And as we chatted about briefly, you know, cats are not like humans, not like dogs. We can't just say, well, eat it or, or starve. They will starve. Well, yeah. and, and, and then really bad things start to happen um, very shortly afterwards. So fatty liver disease kits then, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's-, so that's why I think maybe the popularity of the raw diet has come up because those nutrients aren't cooked out, but I'm not game for the raw diet. There's too many interpretations of it. I mean, I've seen people use the raw food frozen, you know, patties And that's probably a bit better than I've had some clients that use just raw chicken and add the nutrients. And I just, there's, you know, potential for salmonella. That's what it is. I don't feel like I know enough about what we'd have Mm -hmm. to add in because as we were saying, you know, it isn't just the mouse, it's the eyes, the nasty bits that they're eating that are giving them nutrients, which are obviously not putting in our food processor. that doesn't address the humanitarian aspect. Exactly, yes. producing food without it costing lives, which is where about because animals, and you're already doing a lot of this for dog food, are you not? So at the moment, we do have some products on the market right now. No products made with uh, cultured meat yet. We are still, we're developing it, but we're now at the process where we're we're ready to start scaling. But um, the products that we do have available are, we have a probiotic-based supplement, one for dogs, one for cats, as well as a line of nutritional yeast-based dog cookies. And the reason why we focused on uh, launching these early products um, that don't contain cultured meat but contain other cultured ingredients that people are already familiar with the health benefits of. So, you know, we know the advantages of probiotics or nutritional yeast for both ourselves and for our pets. And because cultured meat is this, you know, it's this new food that nobody really knows what it is. We're trying to use these other cultured ingredients to help demystify the process because actually we grow these animal cells, these mouse cells in a way that's very, very similar to how we grow probiotics, which is those individual cells, you put them in a, in a tank, in a referred to as a bioreactor, which is warm and allows for gas exchange. And so this is what would happen inside of a body. And then you feed all those nutrients into the tank and those cells consume them the way they would inside of a body and they grow. So the same way that bacteria or probiotics and nutritional yeast grow in a bioreactor, that's how we're culturing meat. So it's really not, it's not nearly as mysterious process as I think a lot of people might think just because it's it's not yet available, but it will be soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And, I'm, and I'm sure, yeah, yeah we've got a cat walking across the desk who's like, <laughs> things. yeah. We were once doing a behavior session and he put Rita's uh, computer to sleep. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, she'll be back. So anyway, and I just try to keep talking. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way of living with animals. But yeah. yeah, I'm sure there are some people who are nervous about that because there are people who will get nervous about all technology and anything that we 
create it. You know, you've got this yeah, Frankenstein all about GMOs. And yeah, everything. and so you're yeah, so you're you know Frankenstein in the laboratory. It's just not that. It's not that mysterious, right? And it's not no, right? It's not. And I mean, if you think about any and all of our food, you, you know, unless you're growing. It li quite literally, unless you're growing your food, like you have an apple tree in the backyard and you're growing your own corn and, and you're growing all of your food yourself, any food that you buy from the grocery store, it is produced in, by and large in a manufactured, in a manufacturing plant. And so the way that we are, uh, similarly, when we, when we sell cultured meat based products, it will come from a lab. It will come from a manufacturing facility that looks very, very similar to yeah, in, in this instance, like a beer, a large beer producing yeah, facility. Yeah. And I mean, even when you think about uh, when you think about, for example, you know, certain types of chips, uh, like uh, nacho chips or whatever, this type or candies, right? All of those tastes, they're all developed in a lab. Right, um, yeah. They're developed in order to make sure you have the right sensory experience that is really going to appeal to the consumer, etc. So virtually all food is developed in a lab. It's a bit of a mind shift, I get it, because it's a food lab instead of a pharmaceutical lab. And here we're sort of in this in-between because it's not yet a food, so is it a food lab? But it will be a food. So, but you know, a lab is a lab. And um, so for our, from our perspective, you know, we're, we're developing this in a food lab and it will be manufactured in a food production facility. Well, and everybody wants to know where their food came from, right? Like this has been a thing for the last, I don't know how many years. Yeah. And we're exposing how these pigs are kept and how these chickens are kept and how they're pecking at their own poo. And, you know, we're, we're really trying to get into where our food is really well, coming that from. And the damage to our ozone. Yeah. Especially, I Emissions. think, cows. Yeah. Cow flatulence. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and then again, they're given the antibiotics and they're giving the growth to, you know, and I yeah. was telling my daughter the other day that there was a time you couldn't find size 10 ladies shoes in the U S it was really hard to find them. Now they're like eights used to be and 11s are easy to find. And there's, I'm starting to see 12s and 13s no, out there. I have small feet. Our feet, you have <laughs> tiny feet, but They're our eights. feet are growing. Like that used to be the average size eight. And yeah. I think it's like 10 now. Yeah, so things are happening right. to us, but well, and we're consuming these growth too, hormones. They're, they're getting their menstruation they're getting their menstruation earlier. earlier. Yeah, yeah, because of these growth hormones. I there's so much of the chemicals. So I think we need to grow all our food like this. I think this needs to be something for everyone. But I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really interesting because it's, I mean, it, it really is just sort of this mental shift, right? And so we think about, ah, you know, it comes from the animal and therefore it's natural. But if you think about how these animals are raised um, and, and again, how they're actually, um, how they achieve the sizes that they do achieve and um, through growth hormones, for example, and then with these conditions um, and then they're slaughtered, every single piece of meat, um, it has, this has been tested, that's been pulled out of a supermarket, has tested positive once you streak it out on a plate, like a bacterial testing for bacterial load, has tested positive for fecal, fecal matter contamination of, of fecal bacteria, which makes absolute sense because again, the conditions under which the animals are kept and then they're slaughtered. In our instance, um, when we grow these, this meat or these cells in a, in a bioreactor, there is no feces involved, right? We know exactly what the inputs are, so we don't have to feed antibiotics. We don't feed these traditional growth um, hormones that steroids basically beef up the cow or the chicken. And if there is any kind of contamination in our 
bioreactor, we can see it right away because there's no immune system, right? So where an animal has its immune system and it can sort of keep, say, for example, an infection, it's not always that obvious, you know, and of course, because the bodies are riddled, all bodies are riddled by microbes, but it's not always very obvious when an infection starts to set in. But in, in the case of growing cells inside of a bioreactor, it's very, very clear. And so at that point, we can, okay, that culture, we are not going to use it. And so basically, the point is that the inputs, the outputs, the sterility, everything is very, very, quite literally, it's very clean. Um, and there are, no, there are no unknowns. So although this is a new technology that isn't, it feels like an unknown, when you kind of drill down, it's far simpler and, um, and, and much easier to sort of understand the whole process than it is when we consider actually growing an animal and that complex series of events that happen through it, its life to the time it's slaughtered and then how the meat is processed after the fact, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And all the subpar parts go into the cat and dog food. That's right. Make it even yes. the worst of the worst. Yeah, beyond. And I've always said I would not want to feed my cat or my human children anything that I wouldn't eat. Well, well, look in those cans because there's stuff in there you wouldn't eat. I know. Yeah. You know, and gourmet brands like my Vinacha, you know, they have a higher quality of uh, protein going in, but not everyone can afford those foods. I sure can't for 19 cats, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah what exactly. Made you decide to choose the, the mouse to do first. How did all this come about? Right. Well, I mean, I, so uh, I grew up with three cats and three dogs, so not quite 19 cats, but, um, but I grew up with, I grew up with animals and, and they were very much my siblings and, um, and for uh, ethical reasons, animal welfare reasons, I stopped eating meat in my early teens and then started volunteering with animal rescue shelters in my late teens and throughout my adulthood. Um, and then I was very, uh, very, very actively involved in TNR, Trap and Release, uh, with Cat Rescue um, in Toronto when I was working through my PhD. Um, and, um, and when I decided, I'm, I'm trained as a, as a biochemist, but when I decided, um, you know, really, I want to put my scientific career towards taking animals out of the supply chain. And I did think initially, okay, well, you know, I'll do something that's related to human food because humans are the main consumers of animal-based products. But then as I started just to think about it a little bit more and then do more research and that, well, you know, I, I myself, I, I live a, you know, very happy, healthy life without consuming um, these products. But, you know, where am I stuck? I'm stuck having to to continue to support the animal, um, the animal agriculture industry to feed my pets. And so, and then, okay, but you know, is it really going to move the needle? Is it, am I, can I make a difference? Can this make a difference in terms of taking animals out of the supply chain? If we actually are just, if we're just focused on pet food, um, because you know, pet food is just the leftovers of the animal agriculture industry, but just as we talked about 50% of an animal and all of these fallen animals, that amounts to, in the U.S. and Canada alone, that's 25 million tons of rendered animal ingredients per year in Canada and the U.S. alone. And this is worth, so basically with all of this meat, um, now as opposed to actually 
having to pay to have it disposed of as biohazardous waste, because remember, it's very, very heavily contaminated. Um, now the industry actually stands to profit, to continue to profit off of all this meat. So, um, so in reality, though, uh, the animal, animal agriculture industry, as we know it, could simply not exist in the absence of the pet food industry. And, you know, when I, when I actually understood it that way and, and looked at sort of the looked at, okay, well, you know, who's, who's, who's trying to do something about this then? Um, no one, no one really thinks about pet food. Um, so this is really where, um, this is really where I decided, you know, mo our attention is needed most at the moment. Um, we have we to, to take, break. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. Have to take a little break so that our wonderful sponsors can have a word, but we'll be right back with Dr. Shannon Faulkner and Because Animals. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting with my wonderful co-host Linda Hall and our extra special guest, Dr. Shannon Falconer with Because Animals, yes. their mission to make pet products, pet foods healthier and without costing lives. That's the thing that's going to appeal to a lot of vegans and vegetarians and people like me that sometimes I open the can of food and I'm like, what exactly am I feeding them? Yes, no, we're, um, yep, so that's exactly, uh, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole series of reasons really for, you know, one to be interested in, in cultured meat, which is, um, of course, there's the, there's the humane ethical position. And if you don't care so much about that, then, then there's the environmental component, right? And I think, especially in the last couple of years, climate change for a lot of folks has, uh, I, I think the reality is at least started to sink in, um, that this is happening. And a large driver of, of climate change is animal agriculture. And then if people don't care so much about that, then okay, well, then there's the public health issue. Um, where do pan pandemics come from? Every pandemic in history has come from, um, has come from an animal. And that's just because typically viruses don't, typically they don't cross the species barrier, but when they do, it's bad. Um, and so, and when you have animals in very, very confined conditions, in very, very stressful conditions, so um, natural, so they're defecating more because they're stressed. Um, and then there's, with the stress, there also comes um, a dampened immune system. So, um, so pathogens, whether it's viral or bacterial, can really take off in a way that they might not otherwise be able to. 
And now you have basically this, this total perfect opportunity for things like um, viruses that are so virulent, they can cross the species barrier. So there's the public health issue. There's also antibiotics. 80% uh, of the antibiotics that are manufactured in the United States are sold to the animal agriculture industry. Prior to um, COVID, the WHO um, was saying, you know, in reality, the, the biggest global health crisis that we're facing is, uh, is antibiotic resistant pathogens um, because uh, now you have instances where many, many folks who, you know, they go into a hospital for, they broke their leg um, and die because, um, because they acquire a bacteria that is resistant to all forms of antibiotics. And once that happens, you, you can't treat it. Um, and so, so people are dying unnecessarily in that respect. We have, we have a technology that is being really, um, it, it, it's not being used responsibly. So um, there's, a whole, there's a whole slew of reasons why every single person should care. Even if you don't have an animal, right? Like, yeah, I was watching pimple popping videos because I'm gross like that. Yeah. And um, I, it really makes her ill when I do that. And um, they had this, this one popped up and it was a cow that had an abscess. That was the grossest thing I've ever I'm seen. They like, yeah, plug your ears, honey. So they like slashed it and stuff. It, it wasn't, it wasn't as satisfying as a pimple popping, but my brain immediately went to this cow is a full grown cow. It isn't, oh, you can say, I'm good now. You can put your okay. ears and fingers on. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. She can't handle it. But, um, so I'm thinking, okay, this cow is a full grown cow. I don't know if it's a milking cow. I don't know if it's going to slaughter, but it obviously has infection running through its system because that abscess was disgusting. And we're obviously going to give it antibiotics, right? And now I'm going to take these antibiotics because if I eat the cow. So, I no. mean, this just, and the milk and the, yeah. So, I mean, it's scary and it all impacts us. And I know my when my son-in-law was in the hospital a year ago with COVID, he developed a bacterial infection. Then he got, I'm trying to think, the, the viral first, then, then bacterial, then he got a yeast and, or a, yeah, yeast and fungal infection. They were throwing everything they could at it. They couldn't identify the antibiotic. He, he didn't make yeah, it. He didn't make it but, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. But, and I remember, you know, they called and they said, we've literally, they went to infectious disease and they said, we have literally thrown every antibiotic unless we could figure out the specific yeah. bacteria and have a special thing for that. I mean, it just, yeah. And I, I really do. I blame the food that we eat. And yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, I mean, it's just when you just look at the numbers, so 80% 80, 80 of the antibiotics and 75% of those are therapeutically relevant. So they're the same antibiotics that are used to treat patients in hospitals as they are to give to animals prophylactically. And, and by the way, it's not only that cow who has the, who has the, um, uh, the, the massive infection. These antibiotics are given to all animals, again, prophylactically. So if without any infection, and they give them to them because there's this observation that um, animals tend to grow bigger and faster when they're given these small concentrations of antibiotics. Um, and this is the worst that you can, this is the worst thing you can do to propagate or promote um, antibiotic resistance because you're just giving small amounts. So now antibiotics or these bacteria, basically they can, they can quickly and easily develop resistance to these small doses. Um, 
this is yeah and then you end up in situations where you have super bugs which invariably is is absolutely what your your son-in-law acquired um and um and he he shouldn't have died exactly and then we're eating the antibiotics and the animals right so then we're more resistant to antibiotics when we exactly our bodies then build up a resistance just just like they're saying just like they're saying you know get covid you've got immunity it only lasts a little while but get you've got immunity yeah you your body learns to fight it well your body learns to fight the antibiotic right like it's like that's not going to bother me i can overcome this is that how that works well, I mean, it, it's not even just about eating the animals. So whether, I mean, even for folks who are vegan or vegetarian, um, the issue is it, it's the most of the bacteria um, would be, it, it's in the feces. So, um, so of course, there, there could be. Um, now, normally meat processing plants will, um, they do or they're supposed to check for levels of um, antibiotics and they're supposed to be under certain thresholds um i i i i don't want to speak to how um you know to whether or not this is always observed i'm, I'm not sure but um but the point is that the majority of, of bacteria that um that come out of a cow it comes out in the feces and once it comes out in the feces and um now you have a situation where this permeates the soil and once it's in once the bugs are in the soil it's in the water system um so it's very very pervasive there's no way you can control this type of thing so whether you drink milk or eat uh, flesh um it doesn't really matter if you live in our society you um you are going to be subjected to um yeah these these drug resistant pathogens just by as a result of how society functions Wow. Yeah. Well, and we saw, so Rita owned a um, cats only pet sitting service and I came on board as executive director the last four or five years in operation. And so when I first started, we had a couple of insulin cats, maybe one cat that needed sub Q. And then as we're going along, and then I remember when we got the first asthma cat and I was like, asthma inhalers for cats. I've never heard of such a thing. We had had, I, we'd had one or two in the years beforehand, but suddenly it was rampant. By the time we closed the company, we had a lot of asthma cats and we had a lot of needle meds that were necessary, a lot of needle meds because we had some sitters didn't want to do needles. So yeah. that would be like, oh, this cat turned diabetic or needs sub-Q. We got to find somebody. Three, two cats on needle meds right now. One's on twice a day insulin and once a month antibiotics. She's got something going on. And okay. then um, cupcakes on once a week B12. Oh, Okay. So, I mean, and, and the B12 became very um, popular oh, yeah. as well. I had never seen clients having yeah. B12 shots. And now I, I have to and do one. We had many conversations like, where is this coming from? What's More happening? Cancers. And the cancer. Oh, my goodness. Everybody's cat got cancer. At one family, their cat died of cancer and they adopted another cat. So they were back to having two. And then the first cat that lived, he got cancer, like boom, boom. And I was just, mm -hmm. oh, those well, poor people. I'm hoping if we go to these cleaner foods that you're developing that we'll see um, less disease in our animals and our cats and dogs. Yeah. Um, I, I And I, I, I mean... I, I don't want to say, oh yes, absolutely. Um, but given given what we know about how it's produced, um, and you know, I think I think there's reason to be optimistic. And, and we still don't know. Of course, cancer is a very very complicated disease, and there are all kinds of reasons why why it can um, develop. And I mean, a lot of it's not even one disease, depending on what organ, so on and so forth. So lots of reasons, but definitely um, the the observation. I mean, veterinarians with whom I've spoke have said. Uh, you know, who've maybe only been practicing for 20 years even, and they've said, 
the instance um, or the incidence of cancer has just sort of skyrocketed and it's not known. Um, it, it's not, nobody, we, nobody knows how this, how, whether or not it's, these are, um, it, it's a result of the food or it's a result of um, uh, air pollutants. It could be any number of things. Um, but, but certainly uh, if we, if we know that we have, um, we have food that is, you know, again, we know the inputs, we know the outputs. And for those, there are a number of compounds that we do know of are cancer causing. And if we can eliminate those, um, then I think, you know, that's a pretty good step. Yes, definitely. Dexter, and I, yes, by the way. Yes. Dexter, every time the microphone comes out, Dexter shows up. I'm pretty sure he wants to move to Hollywood and become a star, but I'm sorry. It's not, in, it's not in your past. Maybe. I lived in Hollywood but, for 10 years. I'm not going. Yeah, there. not doing that again. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and I and I do I do consider like okay, this isn't great, but take the lesser of the evils, right? Take the best path, right? Like okay, yeah, maybe I'm still eating potato chips, but I'm drinking more water, and I gave up pop, right? So whatever we can decrease, I'm a fan. So yeah, right, exactly. So right now you're starting with these mouse cookies. They're like treats, right? Yeah. So basically, what we um, what we did this past summer is we we've we basically created the, the, the product. So, you know, we have these mouse, uh, cultured mouse cat cookies. So, um, and, uh, and where we're at right now is we, we really just, we need to scale. So, um, you know, as a, as a startup, we're very, very heavily reliant still on uh, venture capital funding. So, um, so with our next fundraise, um, the, the money that we raise from that uh, will be basically put towards building out our, our manufacturing facility, our first small scale manufacturing facility so that we can actually produce these, these treats in the volumes that um, we want to and we know other people want us to. Yeah, we're dying here. We're I'm dying. Forward. I'm forward. I've got 19 tapes. Right, that's what 11. I said. So, but even though we cannot get them today, we can get on a list to be notified because I'm on the list. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's on the list too. Yeah. Where do people go to get on that list and to learn more about this? Yeah. So you can go to our website, becauseanimals.com, and um, and we have you can find there. We have a white paper. So where I've um, some of the things and the statistics that I've, I've mentioned today. Um, there's there's just more in depth information there. Um, and then there's also yeah, you can you can join up to our newsletter to receive updates on both cultured uh, the cultured products, cultured meat products, as well as other products. Um, and if you're interested in, in um, yeah, trying any of our current products, you can also order from our, directly from our website. So becauseanimals.com is a, is a good resource. Yes. And you have for dogs and cats. I do have a small dog too. I'm just a cat person. And, and I'm like, told you I'm pretty sure my dog doesn't realize she's a dog because yeah. she's a cats. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Even, I took a picture one day. She sat in the litter box. Like she thought it was a lounge or something. And I'm like, I told Rita sent the picture to her. This dog is confused. She doesn't know what she is. Oh, that's funny. Well, we oh, wow. do need your dog food. So hey. yeah, well, <laughs> we'll have to get some. Yes, we don't, we don't just feed her cat food with the cat. So. But yeah, and it's very, it's very, you're very good at explaining things in a not, because you would expect that someone with expertise in cell culture, microbiome, all that stuff I said, would be way above our heads, but you're not. You explain it very well on the site. You bring yeah. it down to, to non-microbiologist level, which I appreciate. I got a pretty good grasp of what you're doing without an understanding of all the great things you know. So Yeah, no, it 
it is it is simple at, at the core it really is simple and so um so it's easy to explain a simple process when it really is simple so when yeah do you, when do you anticipate the first mouse treats to be available well, um, I think, so 2022, we're, we're really gunning towards that. Um, it will be, you know, we will be limited batch for quite some time. So um, we anticipate, okay, you know, making a batch and then selling, and then of course we'll have to go back and, and make more and so on. So uh, as far as continuous, you know, continuous availability, that will take some time because the entire cultured meat industry, um, not only because animals, but all of these other companies that are um, involved in making cultured meat for human food, um, everybody's in the same position in the sense that, you know, the technology, the infrastructure, I should, I should say, is just not there for full-scale manufacturing. Um, but we're we're all getting there. So um, ideally, those initial limited batch um, uh, quantities will be available in 2022, and then and then hopefully, yeah, we'll only increase from there. Yes. Do you and have then, like one mouse donor? I mean, how did this, <laughs> where do you get the start? Yeah, yeah, no, great question. So, um, so initially, we um, we actually uh, from so mice, so three mice that would have other been used otherwise been used for research purposes. We took some tissue from their ears, and then these mice went on to the um, the company adopted them, and they went on to live um, with one of our research scientists in in a plush mouse house in her home. And um, so, yeah, and That's so, amazing. yeah, so really, um, um, yeah, it's, uh, so that's where, and, and, you know, it really is, so the, the little bit of tissue, and then from there, basically, um, once you have a sample of tissue, um, and depending on what type of cell you're working with, um, but for us, we're initially starting with stem cells, stem cells, which are sort of, if you will, the most naive cell in the body. It has, um, and, and those cells will continue to reproduce, they'll continue to double or reproduce right. indefinitely. Right. So we don't ever have to go back to an animal. So uh -huh. once you got your little snip, you were set. Yeah, what once you that? have your, yeah, and it does depend. I mean, it, that's not sort of across the whole industry because different people are working with different cell lines and it does get a little bit more complicated. But for us, we didn't ever want to have to go back to the animal. We wanted, okay, we're going to take the cells and that's it. Now we're done. Thank you for your service. And you can live your life. I love it. No, really, I love it. Like, yes, for your service to man and animal kind and go live a happy life. So then, uh, yes, so now those cells will, and, and we can basically, those cells can become mouse muscle cells or mass, mice, mouse fat cells or mouse uh, liver cells, because as you said, you know, in the wild, the cat does consume the entire mouse. So different types of tissue um, have different nutritional profiles. Um, so, you know, we can, we can basically... So, for example, the reason why, you know, when, when you, if, if folks just buy, okay, muscle, like chicken, a chicken breast, and feed their dog or cat a chicken breast, it's not nutritionally sufficient. Um, not all of the nutrients that a cat or dog needs is present in just muscle tissue. So, um, so for example, but a cat that's eating an entire mouse, um, because they do need to also have the, 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 nutrients of the fat um, and uh, the various other nutrients that animals need and, and minerals, uh, vitamins, etc. A lot of these could be found in the organ meats. Um, so not muscle. Muscle is a great source of protein, but it's not a great source of really any of the other nutrients that the animal needs. So which is why uh, it can be pretty dodgy with the raw diet um, because you're not, you're not feeding um, 
all of the components of an animal that contain, and also the proper sort of that ideal balance of nutrients. And then of course the meat has bacteria because in the wild, especially cats, they hunt and kill immediately. They don't eat meat that's been laying around for X number of days post slaughter. Dogs scavenge more, but cats don't. So you're not really going to need to add in, or are you? Are you adding in taurine, and or is this like complete just from what you're making? So actually, we were really excited in our very very early analysis. Um, we did see that actually there is taurine um, without us adding taurine. We do see that the cells were, are making taurine. So it's um, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's amazing. This That's amazing. is this is oh my! I goodness. can't wait till this becomes commonplace and people have me too. Like you want your ribs, fine. You can have your ribs without hurting a cow or worrying about what you're putting in your body. I love some ribs. Uh, Yeah. We want to, as you develop, we would love to have you back on the show, especially as as things become uh, available to both cats and dogs. Yes. I know uh, my mom has five dogs. We've got some taste testers there. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I am assuming that after we get production really running and we don't have a problem with supply of our mouse cookies that we're going to start making food food and right yes, of course that's right absolutely that's totally um 100 the plan so initially yeah the treats because um you know we can we can include smaller amounts of the meat in the treat but as we continue to scale um for sure nutritionally complete foods is, is where we're going that's awesome. Shannon, we are just so excited about this and we are so thankful to you. And we should mention your co-founder, Josh, because we're just cutting him out, giving her all the credit. It's true. It's true. And Josh, Josh was also, he um, actually, we met when we were, we were both uh, active volunteers in uh, animal rescue in, in Toronto in particular. And so um, Josh had just finished his MBA when I, um, when I decided that I would leave my postdoc career to, to start, um, start the company. And so we both, both being very much, you know, dedicated to animal welfare. Um, and we were both looking for a way to basically apply our, our uh, expertise um, and our trainings in a way that could um, help other animals and the environment. So that's when we um, came together to start the company. And Josh uh, went I, to school in Indiana, which is next door oh, to Ohio. So he got a vote that, for that. Now. Yeah. So he okay. got- <laughs> Everyone who's involved with animals in some way should volunteer at a rescue or shelter. For sure. It's really yeah experience and it really makes you realize what's happening out there yeah yeah it makes a huge difference for all of those animals and i know it's it sometimes it feels because of course there's so much like there's so much burnout fatigue right or compassion fatigue i should say and it it's it's like a real thing but but um you know i think about gosh there's so many animals that we will never ever be able to help but then for the small the relatively small number that we do like you know it's life-changing so yeah. Which is why Rita has 19 cats because this last one, somebody, you know, she's 15 and she's diabetic and we're like, hey, nobody's going to take her. Yeah, I saw Mimi walk through and nobody's going to take her. And if you take her to the shelter, she's going to get euthanized. So here she goes into Rita's house. So yeah, but she has her limits and she gets upset. You know, she's, she's never gone over 20 and that's pushing it a little bit. And she'd like to get below, but then these cats keep popping up and I keep telling her, can't save them all. We can just take as many as we can take reasonably and still take care of them. And then we segued off. The it's hard. Yes. Yes. It's all yes. related. It's all. Yes. Related. And what right. you're doing is amazing because yes, once we can get all these cultured meats out there, less animals will be killed. Less animals will be kept in confined spaces. You know, nibbling. I, 
Rita's neighbor has chickens next door. Those things are stupid. They're beautiful, but they're stupid. And they just peck, 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 peck. And, you know, when they're back in their coop at night, you know, they're pooping on that floor and then peck, 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 peck. I don't want to eat that. <laughs> but we do. But we do. Yes. I don't want to eat that. So, uh, yeah, I, have, this is... I have chicken ready to make for us. Uh, I'm thinking, hmm, I, I know. know. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Um, any last words that you'd like to say, Dr. Shannon? Oh, well, no, I mean, I, only just to say thank you both for all of the work that you do for animals. It pales in comparison to yeah. what you do. It is. It, it's absolutely, we're all in this together. I don't really see a difference, right? I mean, oh, I we, that. no, 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 I, not at all. So, um, yeah, I, I really, it's, it's very important that all of us band together in sort of this very big, important mission and, um, yeah, make, just make as much difference in as many lives as possible. I and don't feel I'm overstating when I say this is really a game changer. You are like literally changing everyone's lives, human and animal apart. So this is just, so I was so excited and I reached out to you and I was so excited when you wrote back and I called Rita right away and I was like, she wrote back. He's oh, no, no, of course. No, thank you. <laughs> 30 taste testers just waiting. Yes, yes. Ah, great. Okay. Well, I'm going to for sure take you up on that, on the offer. Um, and because it's always really, you know, of course, it's it, it's very important for us to make sure, as we talked about, that, you know, the first thing for a cat, the first and foremost, it needs to taste good. So, um, so I'd be very, uh, yeah. We're, we're video we're, taste testing like we did with the Mabel. Yes, yes. And we all know how finicky they are, but they I think are. mouse, I mean, that's not out there. They're, there's nowhere to get mouse food. So that's well, this is perfection. good because my cats can't eat. My do my vet said don't feed them fish. Oh, and, yeah. And I had some fish left and I fed it and one of my cats threw up. And so. Simba immediately yeah. started throwing up. Yeah. So uh -huh. they need a new flavor. They're sick of chicken and turkey. Mm -hmm. anyway, mm -hmm. Thank you so much yes. for coming on the show. We'll thank you very much. You back yes, again. Dr. Please. Shannon Faulkner because animals.com mm -hmm. and uh, we'll definitely put that link in uh, when this video goes up on YouTube and also in the write-up on Pet Life Radio. Linda, as always, thank you for finding such awesome guests for us. I, I had to have her. <laughs> I had to have her. <laughs> and Mark Winter, who gives us the freedom to do whatever we want on our show and gives us this awesome opportunity on Pet Life Radio. Thank you so much, Mark. Yes. And just remember, it's not just Saturday. Every day is Catter Day. We'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.